Well, good morning. It's good to see your faces this morning instead of the back of your heads, which I usually see when I sit back there. Our text today should seem familiar to you. It's uh, Philippians 4. I'll be reading verses 4 through 9. Give you the reading of God's Word. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence of anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Since the the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Practicing Peace. And let me pray. Father, as by your Spirit you have inhabited our praises, we ask now that you would inhabit the preaching of your Word. We ask that your Word would not return to you void, but would accomplish the purpose for which you intended. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, Samuel Johnson, an author of the 18th century, uh, said that a writer only begins a book. The reader finishes it. A writer only begins a book. The reader finishes it. Well, in the same way, a sermon is not finished when it is preached. Rather, a sermon is finished when, as uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, when we receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Uh, In their sermon series, Max and Jeff led us into a deep dive into Paul's letter to the Philippians. They gave us the context for the letter, and they explained words and phrases, showed the logic, the flow of things, and they made many practical applications. And so they did all the hard work. Uh, This morning, what I'd like us to do is I'd I'd like to double back into the book of Philippians from my own experience in a story, my own experience related to anxiety and to share how the Lord worked in my life through this letter to the Philippians, particularly Philippians 4, to help me deal with it. It was a little over uh, 10 years ago, and I was playing tennis at West Goshen Park And I was getting ready to serve, and all of a sudden I started feeling lightheaded. And I kind of bent over and put my hands on my knees. The next thing I know, I'm on a stretcher, and I hear the crackling of uh, radios from from emergency personnel. And I was taken to Paoli Hospital, not Chester County, which is right around the corner, but to Paoli because... When I blacked out, evidently I face-planted, not catching myself, raising myself at all, and they thought that I might have had a head injury. Well, it turns out I had a heart attack 
and would need further tests. The problem was they wouldn't be able to do the tests until after the weekend. So I was stuck in my hospital room waiting. And that's when uh, the walls of worry started to close in. And I experienced something that I had never experienced before, uh, a panic attack. I don't want to take the time this morning to describe what that panic attack was like, but I guess I can put it this way. It was like worry on steroids. I was just uh, overwhelmed with anxiety, and it kept getting worse. And then it occurred to me, I had preached from the Bible on the subject of worry. I had written on the subject of worry. I had counseled people dealing with anxiety. So I knew, I knew what to do about it. I knew what God's counsel was, what the Bible says. But what I needed was I needed to bring it to bear in the moment. So I turned to Philippians 4, 4 through 9. I turned, I didn't have a Bible with me, so I turned in my mind. I had committed the passage to memory. I turned to it in my mind, and I started to work through Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And this morning, I'd like to share with you how the Holy Spirit helped me to apply His counsel to my life in that time of anxiety. Well, Paul begins in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And so I hear, I'm here, I'm working through this, and I hear that word rejoice. And it was like, it was, it was like cold water to my face. You know how someone, when they're all uh, frantic about something and someone slaps them? It was kind of like that. Cold water to my face. Because here I was in the thick, of this roiling of anxiety. And here God is calling me, rejoice. Now, now James talks about that, doesn't he? He says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kind. But this was ramped up a little bit because this was, this was God commanding me to rejoice. Well, I was frantic. How could I possibly rejoice in that whirlwind of worry? And I turned my mind to the text, and I realized the text tells me how. I'm to, I was to rejoice in the Lord always, including the moment in which I was, I was to rejoice in the Lord and what that meant is I had to turn from the claustrophobia of the walls closing in upon me in that hospital room, and I had turned my attention to the Lord, to Jesus. Kind of reminds me of Peter. Remember when he, was, uh, he stepped out of the boat in the stormy seas to meet Jesus as Jesus walked on water? When, when was it that Peter started to sink? 
when he took his eyes off of Christ. So I realized that I needed to lift my eyes to the Lord in the thick of worry. Now, as I thought about this, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, I know one place it talks about that. In fact, it uses that exact expression is in the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. He talks about rejoicing in the Lord. And he explains it this way. He says, I will joy in the God of my salvation. Isn't that a weird way to put it? I will joy. Not I will rejoice. Not I will take joy. Not I will find. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, he says. And I said, well, that, that's it's very consistent with Philippians, isn't it? I can do all things through, through what? Through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. And Habakkuk says in that passage, he says, uh, He will make my feet like the deer, able to walk in lofty places. And I might put that scary places because I've got a fear of heights. But what that did was, as I saw that word rejoice in the Lord, I latched onto it. And so I took my first baby steps in walking the heights in the Lord, the scary places. Paul goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, reasonableness. What, what does that even mean? And it's especially confusing when, as Max, when he preached on this passage, he pointed out that it can also mean gentleness. I mean, how do those words even fit together, reasonableness and gentleness? Well, to reason is to think through. So I think what God was saying there was he was calling me to get a grip and keep, keep my wits about me. I needed to take the situation of worry in hand. The situation that was spiraling out of control and reigning it to harness it with the Word of God. I needed to do what the psalmist says in Psalm 46. When, when God says that uh, I am your refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And what, what the psalmist says later on, he says, be still. It's kind of the opposite of worry, isn't it? To be still and know that I am God. So the first thing I needed to remember was just what it says here in Philippians 4, 5. To know that the Lord is at hand. The, I need to remember that the Lord my God was at my side. He was with me. I was not alone. His grace was sufficient for me. And as I uh, dwelt on that a little bit, the Lord is at hand, my mind went, and this is what happens. Um, when you start processing these things, 
other Scripture that you have memorized or other Scripture that you are familiar with, the Lord brings it to mind. And something that the Lord brought to mind was Isaiah 41.10, something else I had memorized. When, uh, when uh, the Lord says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will strengthen you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, and worry what happens. We become agitated. And I had to ask myself, I had to challenge myself, how had I taken my eyes off the Lord instead of being still, instead of knowing that He was... How had I allowed the waves of worry that threatened to engulf me to rule the moment? And I realized that rejoicing for me at that moment and for all of us as we deal with worry, rejoicing requires refocusing. Rejoicing requires refocusing, getting a grip on ourselves. And it brought to mind something else. The, the psalmist in Psalm 42, he's going through some very difficult times. And what the psalmist does, and he does this twice in the short psalm, he kind of takes himself by the, by the collar and says this. He says, he talks to himself. He challenges himself and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Psalm 42, 5. Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation. You see, it begins with saying, the Lord is at hand. All right, Paul goes on to say in verse 6 of Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, Paul issues a, a, a tender rebuke here. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Well, that's pretty easy to say, isn't it? How easy is it not to worry? I'll just not worry. But Paul doesn't pull up his comment there. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this. He goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything but. Now, sometimes when we see the word, this conjunction but in the, in the flow of Scripture, uh, it can translate different, uh, two different words. Sometimes it's kind of a mild adversative, but this isn't that. This is putting your foot down, lying in the sand, totally different direction, but. In other words, what he's showing for us here is the antidote to worry. He doesn't say, just say, don't not worry. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So, you see, we're not just to refuse worry. We're to refocus worry by crying out to God, 
casting our cares, casting our circumstances, casting ourselves upon him. So instead of going through this inner dialogue that worry stirs up, you know, the language of worry is what if, what if, what if. And then a panic attack is such a cacophony of sound, you don't even know what's being said. All you know is that things are in chaos. But I didn't, but Paul was saying that the Holy Spirit was telling me I needed to talk to God. Um, when my uh, kids would come home from school, when we were still had kids in the home, uh, one of the things that uh, we would do, particularly my wife would do with them, is they would, what they would say, talk a days. Talk the days. Talk our days. So we would listen and to hear all that they went through in the day, and they, would, they, would, they actually talked back then at that point. But it was a, a delight. You have to wait until they're ready for it, kind of. Uh, but they talked, and that's what, that's what Paul's calling us to in the midst of worry. He wants us to cock our days. He wants us to lay out before him what we're going through, our fears, our experience, and to pour it all out there. And what he does here is he identifies two kinds of prayer. He begins with prayers of supplication. And what that meant for me is supplication means to ask for something, to make requests. I needed to talk my day with God and to lay before him to ask, believing that I would receive I remember some of those requests that I asked at that time, but they're really different for all of us, you know, depending on what it is that we're going through at times of worry, because our circumstances are different. The way we handle things, different. But here's the one thing that we need to do, and that is when we talk to God about these things and make our requests, we need to be real. We don't need some sort of religious sanitization of our thoughts or feelings. We just need to be human. We need to be honest. And if you read the Psalms, the psalm, psalmists, psalmists do that. They're real before God. So Paul mentions supplications, but he also mentions another kind of prayer. And that is thanksgiving. He says to make our supplication with thanksgiving. And that's another one of those cold water to the face things. Because here I was in the thick of worry, and the last thing in my mind was giving was thanksgiving. But I'll tell you, my friends, thanksgiving, giving thanks changes everything in dealing with worry. What worry does is it sucks the life out of you. It can get to that point. It sucks the life right out of you. It casts a dark pail, a shroud. But what thanksgiving does, it's like filling the darkness created by that shroud of worry with light. And for every expression of thanks that you give, it's like turning on a light. 
Lord, I thank you for this. And the list grows and grows. And the room gets brighter and brighter. Your mind gets brighter and brighter. Your spirit lifts. He says we're to make our requests known to God. Now, we don't want to get the idea that God doesn't know our circumstance. Or that he doesn't know what's happening in our hearts. Make known is not, is not, doesn't mean to inform God. It means to engage God, knowing that the Lord is at hand. All right, Paul goes on, verse 7. And the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, worry is a tormentor. In fact, the very word means to, to tear apart. But here in this passage, God showed me, He shows us what He has for us. And when He speaks of the peace of God, where there was panic, there can be peace. When we're tossed about by the storm of worry, He shows us the haven, He shows us the refuge. He shows us the help in need, the peace of God. Now here, the Apostle Paul doesn't tell us about that peace. I mean, we can mine the Scriptures, let her think about these things, and uh, get a great idea of the peace of God. But here, the Apostle Paul doesn't explain it a great deal. But what he does is this. He says, whatever peace looks like in your mind, Whatever condition of tranquility that you can envision, it is nothing compared to the peace that God has for you in Christ Jesus. How do we know that? Because it says it is a peace that surpasses understanding. It is a peace that we cannot fully comprehend. We can dive into the deep end of this peace and never reach bottom. And that brought to my mind in that hospital room another passage that I had memorized. It was a Jesus in 14, John 14, 27 when he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And of course, that raises another thing to think about, doesn't it? How, how is the peace that Jesus gives different from the, world, from the peace that the world offers? And how does that relate to me amidst these winds of worry? And I realized that Paul wasn't just saying that I would be informed about peace. He wasn't just saying that uh, this peace that surpasses understanding as I thought about it, as I built a biblical case for it, that, uh, <clears throat> that I would be able to fill out a pretty decent essay on a test explaining this peace. Now he was saying that I would be transformed by the understanding of this peace of God. 
He said, this peace of God would guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Now, here, here is worry. Here is worry filling the room, pounding at the door. Worry is a terrorist. And God was saying, the peace of God, my peace, my child, will stand as a sentry to the door of your heart and mind. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 6, explained what it means for this sentry to be at the door of your heart. Here, Paul gets more into what this sentry looks like at the door of your mind. What Paul is doing here is he's reminding us what is the battleground for worry. The primary battleground for worry is our mind. Heart also, not to be developed here, but our mind. And so Paul goes on to say this in chapter eight, in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, when you worry, your mind is all over the place. And what your thoughts do in worry is they draw you into yourself. And as they do, they show how weak you are. How helpless you are to do anything. So they stir fear in you over what might be. And they lead you to a dark place. You might be in worry, be bombarded with thoughts, with doubts, and despair. But what Paul says here is we need in the battleground of our minds to combat these uh, expressions of worry, to combat their voices. He sums it up by saying, you know, the true, good, noble, all that. He says, sums it up by saying, if there's anything pra- praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, think about these things. Now, Paul is not just calling us to positive thinking here. It might seem like that at first, but it's not. He's not calling us to positive thinking. He's calling us to profitable thinking. He's not calling us just to think happy thoughts, but rather to think helpful thoughts. Thoughts, truths that edify, that shore up, that build up. Thoughts that we bring, that we mobilize to combat these things that we're being assaulted with by in our mind of worry. And so, one of the things when we're going through worry, we want to ask, well, what thoughts do I need? What, thought, what am I thinking? And we kind of you know, make this list. And how do I need to take every one of these thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ? What do I need to, how do I need to answer these thoughts with the truth of God's Word? 
And Paul says, these thoughts, any problem, let your, think on these things. And uh, uh, I think it's better expressed, let your mind dwell on these things. Put it in park. And let your mind dwell. The reason is because the word think there is a command, but it's also active. It's something that we keep doing and doing and doing. All right, so the question is, when you're going through a situation of worry, what can you think about? Well, I can't give you a list. I mean, you might share some of the things that I thought about at the time. There's no general list that we can keep into our pocket and pull out at those times. I mean, there are some things, like we might think about the providence of God and the meaning of the situation, uh, the circumstance has, something like that. But the thing is, is that we need to, each one of us, develop our own list in communion with the God who is near. The God who has brought this circumstance to us. The God who is with us in these circumstances. We need to generate our own list. And I'll tell you, it is not one and done because those doubts and fears and worries, they, they've got a way of popping back up after you've answered. It's like whack-a-mole. They pop back up again, and you need to smack them back down with whatever is true or honorable, just, pure, whatever it might be, in communion with God. And finally, Paul says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see what Paul is doing, is doing here, don't you? He's reminding us that we need to be doers of the Word, practitioners of the Word. Uh, you know all those sermon notes you've taken, and I see some of you this morning taking sermon notes. I've seen it other times. Taking those sermon notes and you file them away. Well, it's time to put them into practice. Because these sermon notes, these expositions of the Word of God that you receive from this pulpit, that you receive at other times from your reading of whatever, Christian literature, whatever it might be, they don't, these notes don't belong just on our shelves. They belong in ourselves. And that's what hit me as a pastor who had preached and taught and counseled on worry. I needed to take those things and put them into practice. And Paul assures us that as we handle our anxiety this way, the God of peace will be with us. Oh, wait a second. Isn't, isn't he always with us? I mean, wasn't that one of the points of verse 5? The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Well, yes, that is true. But here's the thing, in the thick of worry, we tend to forget that. Just like I did in that hospital room until the Spirit reminded me. I hope, I hope my sharing this, my, my experience um, this morning has been helpful to you. But I want to make one final observation before I close. God met me 
in my panic, my extreme condition, my, my worry on steroids. And that was something that I had never experienced before, I've never experienced again. But what God has told us this morning, the path that He has led us this morning, is not just for those times of extreme. Is not just for the uh, height of panic. It is for any time, for any level of threat to the peace that is yours in Jesus Christ. Whether that threat is severe, whether it's big, or whether it's small. Whether that, set, that, uh, that uh, threat is long-term or momentary. Whether it is intense or incidental. Paul sums it up elsewhere with three phrases. And this is a nice little prescription uh, for dealing with worry. We are to rejoice always, to give thanks in all things, and to pray without ceasing, for that is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen.